know, I got to say, it's one of the best podcasts that's available right now. It's Down the TV Rabbit Hole with Jim Sion and Harry Bartosiak. And I say that because I binged listened to about three or four of them over the weekend. We're not bad, my friend. You should be proud. You Somebody's got to say it. So, uh, hey, you know what? It's my favorite podcast that I participate in. And uh, I think we've got our three listeners in the bag. So couldn't be happier. Things well, are going good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Harry Bartoszak yeah. is the number one attorney in the Chicago area. My name is Jim Sign, and I play some tuba down here Hi. in New Orleans. I've also done some broadcasting, and you've been really busy with the lawyer stuff lately. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've just been working like a dog. Well, you so, know, I, I think you're in the same boat that my brother is because he works for the Big Green Egg, as I think you may remember. He works for Weber, hmm. now he works for the Big Green Egg. And uh-huh. he said, he said, Jim, he says, I feel bad because guys like you, you know, uh, have gigs canceled and it's tough to find work, he says. But when COVID hit, he said people stayed oh. home. And so they didn't go out to restaurants. So what they do? They cooked at home, so a lot of them bought the Big Green Egg. So he's having his busiest season ever, for God's sake. I can imagine. Yeah, I'm yeah. so proud of him. And I was telling him about how busy you are, so he's happy for you too. Would they um would they like to sponsor the show? We don't have a sponsor, and I I'd be happy to accept a free big green egg and then talk about how oh, great it you, is. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you, know, you know what? Let's work on that. And you know what? I'm in yeah. an apartment, so I have no use for a big green egg. So there you go. All right. Well, you know, chances are he might be listening to this. So uh, if he gives me a phone call or text, I'll forward it along to you. Here We can even promise a cooking show extravaganza where we do reviews of Julia Child, The Galloping Gourmet, Rachel sure. Ray, you name it, uh, and feature lots of plug for the big green egg. But anyway, he does that on TV. He goes out to like the True Value yeah. Hardware store in Louisville, and the local TV station will come out on a Saturday, and they'll do the weather, uh-huh. or they'll have a feature reporter, and they say, hey, here's Mark with the big green egg, and he'll just he'll have four grills going at once. He's cooking a pizza on this one. He's cooking bratwurst over here. He's got steaks oh, over here. Yeah. It's a natural, yeah. You mentioned extravaganza, uh-huh. and that's going to lead me to my first point here, because eventually... We are going to do a Saturday mm. night, uh, Saturday Night Live extravaganza. Am I right about that? For sure. Oh, you're right about okay. that. We have to. We did SCTV, yes. and now we have to pay homage to the the heavyweight champion of the world when it comes to live comedy shows. Whether you liked it better or not, and there was plenty to like. Uh, oh, yeah. is plenty to like. Uh, we got to do it. Well, I got something uh, through email, or I saw it on a website. And it's just a little taste, but I thought it was a pretty good list. It's the top 10 worst mm-hmm. performers Whoa. in Saturday Night Live cast history. Not guest hosts, but Saturday Night Live cast history, the top 10 worst. And I copied them down. I said, I bet you Harry could come up with five of those. Okay, so is this uh, only regular cast members, or could it be um, like uh, r- regular featured cast members who weren't necessarily regular like buck henry was on there a lot or steve martin who i'm sure wasn't one of the worst uh, but uh excellent question re- no it, yeah. it's people that were permanent parts of the cast that were in the open so yeah buck henry or alec baldwin wouldn't count um or uh, uh andy Kaufman okay wouldn't count. i'm ready so, for you all right go, just throw them out and i'll tell you if they're in the top 10 your top 10 your least favorite and see if it jives with this list uh, tony romano uh, you mean Tony Rosado? Yes. Yes, number nine. Very good. <laughs> ding, ding. Uh, Jan Hooks. No, not on the list. Mm, yeah. No. Okay. 
Although you're in the ballpark with Jan Hooks. Think another female who was on at the same time. Blonde-haired girl. Um, yep. Um, Rebecca. Uh, no. Um, oh, for, crying, for crap's sake. I can't remember her name. No, you, you, uh, v. V. Starts with a V. Oh, yeah. Victoria Principal. <laughs> You're really turning into the Norm Crosby of our podcast. <laughs> you re- no, it's Victoria Jackson. But you, Jackson. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Right, yes. She, okay. she was actually number two on this list, which I thought was a little high because no, I always thought she was very cute. But, but okay, yeah, so there you go. She wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Michael Anthony Hall. Uh, no, but you know what? His um, uh, compatriot, so to speak, who came in in the same season, number four, was Randy Martin Quaid. Randy well, Quaid. Randy Quaid, that's yeah. right, yeah. Who, who okay. you love. I mean, Randy Quaid is great, but he just was horrible on Saturday Night Live. Oh, God, yeah. Um, who else? Okay, so... How, how about well, I might not be able to... Yeah, how about a one of the brothers or one of the funny guys? There was a funny guy who had a brother. Oh, Brian was, Doyle Murray. No, actually, Jim Belushi was who I was going for, but same thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't that good. Um, how many we got going here? I don't want to... Let's see. We still got... We've got a couple, a couple that are pretty obvious. Uh, think mm. of somebody who came in right after that first wave. So it would have been like 80, 81... Um, loudmouth, kind of annoying voice comedian who's actually very funny but was actually very horrible on Saturday Night Live. Gilbert Gottfried. You got it. Yes, very good. Yeah. Number eight. Uh, I'll, I'll just round out the list because the other guys yeah, are a little. Yeah, please do. Um, number seven was Rob Riggle. Do you even know who that is? Oh, yeah. I know. I see him on commercials from time to time. He's on like a show now. I think it's on ABC. I believe it's like a new version of Wipeout. Which you remember that show Wipeout with was on briefly a few years ago where people go on an obstacle course of like oh. punching bags over water and yes. it's kind of dumb. Yeah. No, that that actually he, looked like that that actually looked like they they were setting themselves up for for criminal action when when people would go through that obstacle course. I'm like, "Oh my god, it looked painful." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, cuz these people a little bit different than like uh, not American Gladiators, but what's the one American Ninja Warriors or something where they have them go through all they they do an obstacle course, but these people are yeah. like trained trained for it. These were like slubs and and um, you know slouches that would just do this thing because it looked <laughs> like fun. Well, what's a big deal? You it's a you know it's a a mat and you drop into the water. It looks like fun, but you know you're right. They ran them through the ringer like no pun intended. You know that would be a good name for a band if you were like in high school slubs and slouches. Hey, please walk. <laughs> yeah, I like it. And the thing is, the expectations would be so low because of the name that you really would have to be very good. So, well, that's um, what I had. Somebody had a good idea of that what they should do for the Olympics, like the this was during the Summer <laughs> yeah. Olympics, is to make you appreciate how good these athletes are. In every event, they should put a slub or a yes. slouch and have them compete at the same time so you could see the difference you know like some guy who no training just you know like me you know roll out of bed you know right you know flab all that crap and uh have that you know you're doing the 100 meters with the world champion or something <laughs> that would be freaking hilarious no you're exactly right and he's not one yeah. of my favorite performers um but al roker actually when nbc had the olympics like 16 years ago uh and this might have been when he was still fat he wanted to do the uh-huh. bobsled. He wanted to say, hey, I want to do the bobsled so I can show people just how hard it is, you know. And yeah. that was kind of his plan. 
And I don't know who it was, whether it was the president of the network, president of the Olympics, whoever it was, the executive said, no, Al, um, we'll let you do it. But you're going to mm-hmm. go you're going to go just out of sight right around the corner and we're going to let you go for about 40 yards. And that's it. And he said, oh, no, he says, let me go further. I said, Al, no, <laughs> no, it's oh, much, yeah. much too dangerous. And so he, he ended up actually just doing like one turn. So he comes out of the turn going like three miles an hour. Then he comes into the, the camera view. He says, hey, it's the bobsled. I'm Al Roker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and you know what? You could get real athletes. You know, like get yeah. someone who, who's a good athlete, but obviously not a bobsledder. So yeah, you, somebody who thinks they can do it, right? Like uh, you know, a lot of these football players still think they can be sprinters and stuff. They get blown off the track. Let me finish up the list. Number six was mm. Jay Moore. Do you remember Jay Moore? Yeah, he was in Jerry Maguire. Played like the smart-ass jerk agent friend of Tom Cruise in that one. Yeah, I think you're right. He he. And the thing is, he's been in a couple couple of movies where he's been all right but he was terrible on saturday night live uh as was uh jim brewer number three according oh to this god list. i hated jim brewer i mean i didn't know he might be a nice man but that stupid right. goat thing that he does all the oh. time and it, he was just that... looked like he was on dr- drugs all the time it's like i just it's not funny zero zero humor registered registered with me no offense again to jim brewer fans but See, I, I, didn't, I didn't know he was the goat boy, and I yep. saw clips of the goat boy, and I said, how did this get out of dress rehearsal? I mean, it's a one trick, and it's not I even, know. it's like, oh, mildly amusing. The guy talks, and then he then he turns into a goat, and then he talks some more. That's the whole well, thing. Well, for a while there, during that circa that time frame, there was... And what, even when Will Ferrell was on and all that, there was a lot of one-trick pony acts that yeah. kept going on and on and made movies, even like Night at the Roxbury with those two guys dancing <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, techno music. Okay, it's funny for like five minutes for one skit, and then they made a whole damn movie out of it. So, it, <sighs> you know, a lot of one-trick pony stuff on that show. Number one on the list was Robert Downey Jr., and it's hard to argue with that one. Right, I don't even remember him on there. I've read that he was on there, and maybe I saw him, but uh, yeah, he, yeah, the guys. Now he was pretty funny, and but but in a jerky um, character actor role kind of a way, and lots of things in the '80s, like he was in Weird Science. Yeah, um, he was in some other stuff too, where he he played like a you know a jackass. Um, and, uh, you know, then, you know, things got weird for him and now he's a superstar and all that. But, uh, it, it wasn't like comedy was totally out of the question for him, but he was an actor, not a improv guy. At least that's what it seemed when he, when they put him on that show, as you're reporting here, Yeah. at least somebody who did this poll thought he was the absolute worst. Well, you brought up a great point because when I saw him in those movies in the eighties, I always felt like he was a guy who was kind of feeling his way. And I'm like, eh, maybe this guy's good. I don't know. Does he have talent? I can't really tell. But then, of course, as he became more of a serious actor, yes, he became he became right. excellent. Okay. That's like he's done some really good stuff. All right. So since I came up with that dumb list to uh, to start the podcast, why don't we toss to Harry Bartosiak, who will feature his okay. show for this week on Down the TV Rabbit Hole. I'm waiting. Okay. Ready. Can't wait. Well, you don't have to wait any longer. But I guess if I try to make you guess what my show is going to be, I am quite confident it, you wouldn't do it in a million years. You just wouldn't. This is not the kind of show that I normally pick. And as a matter of fact, yeah. it's not just a show, but it's primarily a man. And 
yesterday, what what happened in history yesterday, um, a long time ago that was commemorated? Do you know? Do you remember? No, I don't. I'm sorry. Okay, it was the anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy okay. on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. I should have I should have known that. So right. I, now I feel like a jerk. Well, that's not why I picked this show. But what I was gonna do was I was gonna do. Um, the network news, uh, all the different broadcasters that I used to watch growing up as a kid and into adulthood on ABC, NBC, and CBS. But I got so into and tied up with the story and the way it unfolded for the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite Very that cool. I decided to focus on That's the Way It Is, November 23, 2021, down the TV rabbit hole, we'll talk about Walter Cronkite and the CBS Evening News. Well, well, that's great, because I'll tell you the truth. I know a lot about the history of the Evening News, but I'm not an expert on Cronkite, so so you're going to teach me a lot of things, I think, here. There's some cool stuff. Uh, so the program, uh, news brought, first of all, history of TV news plays into this. There was TV news for a long time. Starting back, you know, even on, in, you know, obviously with the newsreels in the movie studios and in the earliest form of TV, you know, basically uh, there was some form of CBS news dating back to July of 1941 during the beginning of World War, World War II. Now, I don't know if how many people had TVs or w- w- whether it was still in the theaters, but anyway, that was the early genesis of it. Um, but in 1962, uh, Cronkite, Walter Cronkite, succeeded a guy named Douglas Edwards, yes. who had been doing a night, nightly feature newscast. Now, at that time, it was like 15 minutes. Did you know that the CBS Evening News, which debuted with that title on September 2nd of 1963, was the first network television news of 30 minutes or more? That's when it started. That, yes, and, and I believe yeah. that it was preceded by the Camel News Caravan with Douglas uh-huh. Edwards. It was yeah. sponsored by Camel Cigarettes, and they would start with like the logo, and then they would show like an ashtray with a cigarette burning in it, or you know, someone would even light up the cigarette. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering that. I, think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Now, I didn't do a lot of research on Douglas Edwards, but that sounds right. about right. But um, what happened was, we'll go back in time a little bit, back to World War II. Walter Cronkite, he grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and but then moved to Texas he, when he was a teenager, went to high school out there and went to the University of Texas. He does not seem to me to be a Texas good old no. boy. No. And that's because he was m- more Midwestern Kansas City and eventually moved back to Kansas City, uh, to uh, to really restart his broadcast career. But what he did, and this is pretty cool, he was hired. You talk about this guy, what a broadcasting legend is Walter Cronkite. He was hired to be a war correspondent by none other than Edward R. Murrow, the babe, cool. the babe frickin' Ruth of, of television reporting, or reporting, I should say. Yeah. Um, and he became, Cronkite became one of the top reporters working in Edward R. Murrow's group uh, in World War II, covering battles all over North Africa and Europe. He was on for a long time. I mean, he would... This guy was embedded for a lot of the war. He was on the USS Massachusetts. He flew in a bombing raid in a B-17, uh, in a bombing raid over Germany, and with fired guns during the raid at B- at German fighters. I mean, this is like 
You know, he's just not just in you know safe, cushy, sitting in a hotel typing wire reports back. Um, he also landed in a glider with the 101st Airborne Division, and, and uh, so I mean, the guy was like seriously hardcore in there with the soldiers. Wow! Even doing some fighting, and right after the war, he went right to the Nuremberg trials and covered all that horrible stuff. Wow. He comes back to the States and he starts anchoring political conventions. This is before now CBS Evening News began in, in 1963. Okay. Um, but he was doing other reporting and he was given the assignment to anchor or participate in CBS's The Morning Show, which was its 1954 attempt to uh, go up against NBC's Today Show. So get this, I don't know what he did exactly uh, or how that went, but big part of his duties were to include interviewing guests and then chatting with a lion puppet named Charlemagne about the news. Oh my God. So once again, I mean, we see running themes on this podcast all the time. And one of them is they put monkeys on TV or have <laughs> newsmen talk to puppets. Okay. <laughs> No, you're right. J. Fred Muggs was probably one of the most famous performers on television at that point. So why not give Cronkite a puppet? <laughs> yeah. And ironically, in interviews in life, uh, Cronkite consistently said that he considered his discourse with the puppet as one of the highlights of the show for him. So wow. anyway, he, he wasn't above it. Um, now you realize I'm going to have to try and find a clip of that and I'm going to have to go so <laughs> far back, but I'm going to yeah. try. <laughs> this may be harder than finding the Loretta Swit hand, hands-free telephone. Yeah, but ad. you found it. So, so kudos to you. <laughs> right. Hi, I'm Loretta Swit with the most exciting new product for busy people since the invention of the telephone. It's the incredible new hands-free featherweight phone. It plugs right into your telephone and ends Sornex forever. Well, before we get, to, we haven't even gotten yeah. to start with the CBS Evening News yet. He also was the lead broadcaster of the network's coverage of the 1960 Winter Olympics. Okay, wow! This is the first time that the Olympics were ever televised in the United States. But get this, he wasn't supposed to be the lead broadcaster. You know who the lead broadcaster was supposed to be? I'm going to guess Arthur Godfrey. <laughs> No, and not okay. Milton Berle either. It was okay. Jim McKay. You wow. were like, of course. But do you know why Jim McKay didn't do it? Uh, I don't know. Why Cronkite had to step in? Why? Because Jim McKay suffered a mental breakdown. What? Yeah. So I come to so I saw that and I'm like, what? Just what you said. So I started researching it. And apparently Jim McKay. God bless him, and he did great all those years on the Olympics, was a very um, insecure guy. He had his insecurities, and he would let things build up inside to the point, I don't know what he was doing pre-1960. He was working out of Maryland, I think. Um, but the his, uh, his um, wife said he, he just got to the point where she had to take him to the hospital, basically, and he had to get treatment. He basically just broke down. Wow. And this is before... And he obviously later came back and with gangbusters and became one of the most iconic sports broadcasters ever in the United States, doing all those Olympics and ABC's Wide World of Sports, everything from the joy of victory, the agony of defeat, the log rolling, and you name it. Um, and did you know that his real last name was McManus, Jim McManus? Yes, and I did know that. 
And did you know also that his son is Sean McManus, who was for a long time and may still be the president of CBS Sports? Very cool. Yes, I did remember that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So as you can see, there's not a lot of humor in my report right now, but I still think it's cool stuff. And <laughs> Well, uh, I, have, you know. I have one good uh, uh, yeah. Walter Cronkite funny story that I can throw in at the end, but you keep going. We're at the 1960 Olympics, and it's Walter Cronkite. Right. Okay. So anyway... Um, then we get to uh, the fact he starts, he's given the assignment to the, do the CBS Evening News, which he does solo. Right. Um, he did it. Now, he was considered, as you know, like the most prominent newsman in America for a long time. As a matter of fact, he was known as like the most trusted man in America by a lot of people. Times yes. were different. But, I mean, presidents, um, celebrities. I mean, if Walter Cronkite gave you his blessing, you know, you're you were okay and vice versa we'll get to in a minute but he was on the air you would think that walter cronkite by the time he signed off he was must have been on the air for about 40 years that was my impression this guy was always there he was only on the air for 19 years that mm -hmm. seems like nothing almost on the evening news now he did like i said this is in the 60s to 1981 when he signed off but uh, it just seemed to me that it must have been at least a 30-year run but no it wasn't um, but he did a lot during that time. I mean, he was there for about all of the big events, the Cuban Missile Crisis, like I said, the assassination of President Kennedy, the Vietnam War, Apollo 11 moon landing, Watergate schedule, the whole shooting match. And if you want to see something that's kind of, uh, I don't say it shake you up, but yesterday was the solemn anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy. If you go back and look on YouTube, Walter Cronkite breaking that news to the nation, you know, he says, I, I don't want to, like, minimize the moment by using his voice to do a bad impression. But he basically comes in and takes off his glasses. You can see his eyes are swelling up. And he says, from Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard, some 38 minutes ago. And then he gets choked up and he talks about almost like, you know, he's just about to lose it. He talks about Johnson being sworn in. I mean, it's really... Um, you talk about history encapsulated, oh, yeah. you know, how the nation was feeling. Uh, and, you know, he was really given a lot of credit for adding some perspective and kind of keeping like his hand, you know, keeping things calm, but giving appropriate perspective to what was shaking down as he was reporting on things minute by minute. I mean, they broke into As the World Turns. I'll tell you an inside story. When they broke into As the World Turns originally, yeah. they couldn't go on camera. That's right. They could because, not. They, it, exactly. Yeah. The camera The camera had to warm up. That's how old That's right. the technology was. So they put up a slide, special report, and Walter Cronkite yeah. voiced over that slide. And then, of course, you know, as everything progressed, we, we saw the video of Cronkite with the glasses and all that. And that's, you know, that's right. And it is. And it it is. It's chilling to this day when you watch it. I mean, it gives you shivers. And what he said was that, you know, what they would do is they'd roll the cameras in, like, before the 6 o'clock news. But basically, uh, somebody had asked him, well, how come you happened to be there? He's like, well, that was my job. I sat at my desk all day long, every yeah. day, unless they sent me out for something. This is how powerful Walter Cronkite was. In 1968, you know, you probably know, most people know, that he came out eventually against the Vietnam War. Basically said, enough is enough. This is, this is not right to continue anymore. And that only, that, that, I'm guessing, it turned some public opinion further against the war. But what it did is LBJ said, 
basically, oh crap, if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost the I've lost the country. And in yeah. part, they said it, it played a significant part in his decision. Uh, it was probably that you know t- it was probably the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was in some significant part in Cronk and uh, LBJ not running in 1968. Yep, I've read that. It's very true. Yeah. Then Cronkite covered the 1968 convention, and here's an interesting fact: um, you, everybody knows all hell broke loose at that 1968 convention. But did you know that when Cronkite was anchoring that Dan Rather was down on the floor and he got punched by somebody? <laughs> to the floor, and it was on camera. ...at arms, security people have uh, one of the members uh, under both armpits and forcing him out. Dan Rather? What's your name, sir? And what is your name, sir? Take your hands off of me. Dan Rather? Unless you intend to arrest me, don't t- don't push me, please. Sir, I'm I know you will, but don't push me. Take your hands off of me unless you intend to arrest me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Walter, as you can see... I don't know what's going on, but this... These are security people, apparently, around Dan. And obviously getting roughed up. We tried to talk to the man, and we got uh, bodily pushed out of the way. This is the kind of thing that's been going on outside the hall. This is the first time we've had it happen inside the hall. We, uh, I'm sorry to be out of breath, but somebody felt him in his stomach doing that. What happened is a Georgia delegate, at least he had a Georgia delegate sign on, was uh, being hauled out of the hall. We tried to... Uh, talk to him to see why, who he was, and what the situation was. And at that instant, the security people, uh, well, as you can see, put me on the deck. I didn't do very well. I think we've got a bunch of thugs here, Dan. If I may be permitted to say so. Well, mind you, Walter, I'm all right. I, it's, uh, it's all in a day's work. Well, I saw the performance, and it didn't look very good from here, I'll tell you that. The Here's an interesting thing. You know, I've, I've already done a little bit of an impression. Walter Cronkite. CBS Evening News. Did you know that he trained himself to talk like that at a rate of 124 words per minute so that viewers could clearly understand him? Okay. No, but that sounds that sounds remarkably accurate because when yeah. you think about delivery, his delivery was always it was always the same cadence. Yeah. I guess an average American speak about 165 words per minute. And he he's they slowed him way down. Somebody slowed him down or he decided I, I didn't get that far with the research. But another thing that was interesting to me was he they were a ratings monster for a long time. And that was, I'm sure, because they all did a great job. And Walter Cronkite was great and loved by people. Uh, they were loyal to him. But also, there was the other networks made decisions they weren't going to put anywhere near the resources into the nightly news for a long time. And so that was one reason they clobbered NBC in that category. It was because, in part, they didn't... And said that like, we're not going head to head with CBS. You guys spend all that money. Go ahead, knock yourself out. When Cronkite retired in 1981, it wasn't largely, it wasn't all by choice. But he was too classy to ever make a big deal out of it. But a lot of people think you know he would have wanted to go on. But Dan Rather took over, and he he did it for 24 years, more longer than Cronkite. That doesn't seem right to me. No, it, yeah. does, it seems like just the opposite. It seems like Rather did like 10 years and Cronkite did 30. <laughs> right. And after that, it was, uh, you know, they had some other people that did it from time to time. Uh, Connie Chung, I guess, was in yeah, there with Dan right. for a while. That wasn't please, good. Please, please, please don't mention Connie Chung in the same breath as Walter Cronkite. No offense, because I used to have the same agent she did. 
Uh, really? A guy, named, a guy named Alfred Geller, who was, uh, I could tell you stories about him. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, wow. uh, but yeah, I mean, Walter Cronkite was really, he was, he was the Cadillac or the Bentley, uh, and he was the last of the Murrow guys, I think, who was actually on TV, you know, on a regular basis. Right. And just to finish up on the, on the, the parade of, of people after him, oh, yeah. Bob Schieffer took over, Katie Couric for a few years. Yeah. Oh, Scott. Boy. Yeah, Scott Pelly, who was on uh, 60 Minutes, and then there's some guy named Jeff Glor. I never. This is about. I'm not watching anymore because you right. know this is all cable news. I watch whenever I want. I turn on the news, you know. And then Nora O'Donnell does it now. But back in the day, I just remember I would come home from. This is you know not as a young kid, but as a teenager, and as I got into college, and then for sure law school. Like that was appointment television. And here's one other last fun fact for you. Okay. Maybe the best fact of all. Did you know that Walter Cronkite, despite all that hardcore news coverage and being embedded in the war and covering President Kennedy's assassination, the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know what his, one of his favorite things to do was? Sailing. Was sailing for sure. You're right. But okay. here's a little known fact, Cliff Clavin. Right. He was a longtime <laughs> ham radio operator. Oh, my okay. God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you imagine... Which is a thing, I think, you tell me, but I think it's where you transmit information to other ham radio operators. So I'd be like, can you imagine you're at your ham radio, uh, uh, testing one, two, four, this is Harry Bartosiak broadcasting from Arlington Heights. Hello, this is Walter Cronkite. Can you, uh, like, oh yeah, right, bullshit, you know. (laughs) Knock it off, but, wow. but uh, ham radio. But so you, um, you, you yeah. think about it, though, it makes sense because if he started as a war correspondent, yeah. the only way to get information were handheld radios from the front line back to the medic, back to the headquarters. <laughs> You're really? right. So, I mean, yeah. that makes sense. Wow. Holy cow. Well, I'm never going to be a ham radio operator, but I am no. going to buy on the black market a ham radio uh, operator's license plate so I can have that designation on my car because I see those from time to time and I think, you know, boy, that could be me. Well, uh, you know, probably get special parking privileges at uh, different that, events. I, would imagine. I don't know, but uh, yeah. That reminds me of a great story when my brother was driving on I-55 from Eastern Illinois University to, uh, to Chicago, and he was driving my car, which didn't have a horn at the time, and he's behind a guy, and he sees the, <laughs> ha- he sees the ham radio license plate, so he starts flashing his brights because the guy's going way too slow. He's like in the right lane and, or the left Morse lane. Morse code. Yeah, he, it, so he's, just, <laughs> he's lighting up the car, blah, blah, blah. And so he's like, this fucking ham radio guy. So he pull, finally the ham radio guy pulls in front of the truck that was on the right of him, and my brother's zooming by, and he goes over, and he's getting ready to flip the guy off, and he realizes that it wasn't a ham radio license plate. It was a cop. so so the great line the great line is my brother of course you know the guy turns on the lights my brother comes over and my brother's leaning out the door because you know my brother has the gift of gab and the cop just immediately comes up and holds up his hand and he says you know i'm giving you a ticket (laughs) 
sure Sounds like one. Jack Benny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I felt bad for him, too, because it was my car, and it was a good Toyota Celica. It just didn't have a horn. The horn broke oh. at some point. What well, did your know. brother say? I'm sorry, officer. I thought you were a ham radio operator. <laughs> you know, oh, that, okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> See, maybe if the guy was cool, he might have got it. Because <laughs> you, know, you know, if you're on, if you're on a two-lane expressway, and the speed limit is 65, and there's a truck in the right-hand lane doing 65, the guy in the left-hand lane going 65.0001 miles per hour is most likely going to be a ham radio operator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. All right, let me tell you my two Walter Cronkite yeah. stories real quick. The other networks, and ABC really wasn't a player, but NBC didn't put the resources into news that CBS does or did. And the reason was for many years, even into the 60s, the networks never considered news to be a moneymaker because it was yeah. only a half hour. And the thing that they actually put more money into and put more resources into were the conventions, like you mentioned. Uh huh. And the only time that Walter Cronkite ever had any sort of ratings difficulty and he was always number one i think but when nbc put huntley and brinkley and this might have been 64 they put huntley and brinkley on the convention uh convention where walter was just doing it solo that's when huntley and brinkley all of a sudden because remember the conventions were a big deal back then you know oh, for sure and they yeah. were on prime time. You know, you if you, there was nothing to watch other than the conventions. I mean, all mm -hmm. the networks covered it. So Huntley and Brinkley, because they had a good interplay, all of a sudden became popular for a while. And NBC did put them on the nightly news together. I don't know for how many years. And they were relatively yeah. successful. Nothing like Cronkite. Yeah. But that's right. the only challenge that Walter Cronkite ever really faced in his 19 years. Well, I will tell you, I met Walter Cronkite. Wow, that's well, amazing. Tell. Okay, all right, well, okay, I, I'm exaggerating the story. I was vacationing with a girlfriend at the time. Her parents had a place in the Hamptons, so we mm -hmm. flipped to Boston, then went to the Hamptons. Or no, it was Cape Cod, Cape Cod. Is that Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, Martha's Vineyard. Walter Cronkite was a well-known resident there and very exactly. active in the community, yep. yeah. And we went to a restaurant that was on a marina, and someone said, oh, there he goes. And sure enough, there was Walter Cronkite in his boat, putting out, you know, through the harbor. So I got to see, you know, I think I saw his profile, and I saw him. And you yelled, hey, Cronkite! And that was meeting him, basically. <laughs> I, I should have. <laughs> no, I think I waved. I th so, I mean, that halfway counts, you know. I mean, at least I was within 50 yards of him, so. Do you ever see the SCTV skit when they had, they did a show on there called Dialing for Dollars, where people would call in and try to win money? It was just like, a you have a telephone, and, and it used to be Harold Ramis doing it as um, the guy. His character's name was Mo Green, like okay. like the guy from. But they they would uh, they'd have Dave Thomas doing it sometimes as Walter Cronkite, and he'd be like, dialing for dollars, call in to win money, and then somebody would call in, and it was a um, a crank caller. Hey Cronkite, I'm gonna come and get you. I'm gonna get you, Cronkite. What <laughs> what is this? And he would hang up. And say, well, well, let's try yeah. the, try the next line, and then say, Cronkite, I'm gonna put your Head in a vice until your mustache pops off. Oh, oh, hang up. Yeah, it was that was the whole bit. <laughs> well, let me <laughs> let me guess, because one of the crank callers had to be John Candy. <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm sure. You, we I'm could sure. Yeah. I know the other story I was going to tell you. I'm glad oh, you reminded me. Yeah, let's hear you, it. You see, back then, and I don't know if it was for the entire 19 years. 
mm-hmm. quite frequently, the anchor, and especially with Cronkite, he had a special title. And I think it was executive editor or there was an executive producer, obviously, who really oversaw the newscast. But let's say it was executive editor. So basically, he had the final say on all the content. Like if he didn't uh-huh. want a story, it wasn't going to be in. Well, during the news one night, and this would have been, gosh, early 70s, and I should know the year, but I don't, they come back from commercial break, and Walter Cronkite is on the phone, because you remember they used to have a phone there on the set. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And he turns to the camera, he says, folks, pardon me for just one minute. And he's talking on the phone, and he literally talks on the phone for 45 seconds. He's got a pen, uh, pen or a pencil in his hand. It's okay. Yes. All right, well, thank you. So I, I, we really appreciate the phone call. Thank you very much. And he hangs up the phone, and I wish I could remember the name of the person. But he says, folks, that was uh, Steve Koncheck. He's the a spokesman for Lyndon Johnson and the Lyndon Johnson estate, and he was just calling me to tell me that Lyndon Johnson passed away. In- thank you very much, Tom. I'm on the air right at the moment. Uh, can you hold the line just a second? I'm talking to Tom Johnston, the press secretary for Lyndon Johnson, who has reported that uh, the 36th president of the United States died this afternoon in an ambulance plane on the way to San Antonio, where he was taken after being stricken at his ranch, the LBJ Ranch in Johnson City, Texas. So, I mean, literally, the first call the guy made was (laughs) to Walter Cronkite. So he's on, excuse me, folks, hang on, I'm on the phone here with something important. I mean, just the fact that he had the courage to go ahead and tell a live TV audience, hold on a second, I've got something very important here on the phone. And he didn't rush it. He didn't say, hey, we're back from break. Hey, I got to go. No, he's like, okay, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay. And then he hangs up the phone and he relays the news. That would never wow. happen today, unfortunately. Never, 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 no. never, never. Oh, my but, God, no. That's very cool. That's an that's an old school news story that, uh, I mean, no, it would never happen today, but that encapsulates uh Cronkite, like most trusted yep. man, that's the first call that gets made. They do it on; it's simple. They'll do it yep. on the air. He's got the rotary phone ticker yep, tape. He, you're right. Yeah. Stupid rotary phone. You're and, <laughs> and the clackety clackety as Johnny Carson used to. When when he remember when uh, Cronkite retired, Carson did a Cronkite. Oh yeah. Good evening. This is Walter Cronkite. For the past 19 years, I've been sitting at this desk reporting all of the major news stories in the world. Tonight is my final broadcast. And I would like to add one personal note. For God's sakes, knock off that tickety, tickety, tickety. Nineteen years of tickety, tickety. And another thing, they don't even give you your own office. I have to sit here in the middle of the studio with these idiots in the background. Why don't you get off the phone and beat it? Get out of here. What the hell is a broad doing in the newsroom? This ain't the Mary Tyler Moore show. That's another thing I highly recommend you revisit that. It's very funny, I think, one yeah. of Carson's best bits. Except that they, he says some stuff that you could not say today. And, you know, like he said, what's a broad doing in the newsroom? Like, Whoa. <laughs> Seriously. That's part wow. of it. Wow. <laughs> All right. Now, now I definitely have to put that in the show. That's great. Yeah. Holy cow. All right, Walter Cronkite, we get, we agree, one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time. Uh, I'm trying to come up with a good transition here because we're going from 
very serious programming to sorry about that no that's no it's great no 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 i I think it's wonderful because you know the nightly news and we could probably do another three or four episodes just on uh you know dan rather and connie chung and katie cork and that whole fiasco that went on for all those years (laughs) but but all right let me just switch gears and talk about another classic man that everyone has great respect for and i'm doing this by request, this is a show uh-huh. that actually had two runs from 71 to 78 and then from 89 to 2003. It's for our buddy Dan. Over the weekend, I binged watch Peter Falk and Columbo. Uh, oh, my God. Yes, I yeah. love I didn't love Columbo, but I love talking about it. There's some very interesting stuff here and you got to give major kudos to uh peter fox so lay it on me yes well now wait a minute you didn't love colombo uh, let me ask you a question here uh, what right. don't you think i was kind of a one-trick pony uh, you know okay. showing up in the well, coat with the eye and just, oh, just one more thing yeah all right you know what we'll talk about that let me get through the the nuts and bolts here very quickly it was a pilot don't you night. love the conflict i've see i've established dramatic conflict in in, in and, the, and the thing in is i really i'm not a hundred percent in disagreement with you but i'll get through that and then we can throw that open for open discussion in hell where's my okay. other phone i'm gonna get dan on the other line we'll get, we'll do three-way calling for god's sake yeah. okay <laughs> All right, so Colombo Colombo did a pilot in 1968. It didn't get picked up, but it wasn't really Colombo. It was Peter Falk, but he wasn't wearing the raincoat. He wasn't doing the cigar thing. He wasn't doing the whole Colombo bit. So they redid mm-hmm. a pilot in 71, and they said, okay, and that's when he's really becoming Colombo. They said, okay, we'll take it. And, of course, it was part of the NBC mystery movie from 71 uh-huh. to 78. You remember that. They had four different mystery movies in rotation i know all right go ahead which were they what were they (laughs) mcleod that was one of them (laughs) right with dennis dennis weaver very good mcmillan and wife rock hudson and susan st james excellent okay columbo the aforementioned columbo okay and the third one i might goof up i was going to say banachek no, but no. Or no, no, no. Deni- he, oh, Quincy. Oh, no. He was no Quincy came later. No, you're in the ballpark, for God's sake. And wait a minute. I know I've got this in my in my notes here because here it was. The original four were McLeod, McMillan and wife and then Columbo and Heck Ramsey starring Richard Boone. Oh, have gone will travel. Right. I don't know. I'll have to put that in the corrections because I really don't know Richard Boone at all. But that only lasted a couple of seasons. Well, let me then, tell you something. Go ahead. This is this is very important. I have to interrupt you. Yes. I know Richard Boone as the person that my mother held out as an example of why not to drink alcohol in excess. Because he was a very good-looking man who lost his looks because he drank too much. This is She reported wow. to me when we were watching a movie years ago, and it always stuck with me. Now, wait, how would your mom know how much Richard Boone drank? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Hmm. Well, ask Columbo. I don't know. Well, you know what? <laughs> and at the same time, I'll ask your dad why he always thought that Robert Mitchum's shit didn't stink. <laughs> no, that was my Uncle Al, but same oh. concept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Robert Mitchum? Uh, he doesn't think his shit stinks. What he thinks his shit don't stink. 
Really? You're, see, you had no idea. Your entire family had an inside yeah. track to classic When somebody tells Hollywood. you stuff like that, it stays with you. Vanacek, I think, came in, and then Quincy came in after that. Of course, now that's more work for the corrections. Uh, I think Burt Reynolds did one for a, sh- a short period for like one Oh, season. yeah, he did. Yeah, what was that called? Oh, this is going to have to be in the corrections. B.L. Stryker. B.L. Stryker. That's right. B.L. Stryker. You're right. Hey, was yeah. Harry O part of this thing too, or no? No, was Harry O is on ABC. Harry O is ABC. Okay. Um, and you know so, he drank himself to death, just about David Jansen did, according to uh, Jim Rockford. I mean, uh, James Garner. <laughs> right. You did tell me that because because he was in so much pain from standing around doing those. those right. Th- Too much standing. Little known hazard of the Hollywood industry: standing. And we've heard that from you. You heard that from uh, from James Gardner, obviously. Uh, we've heard that from three or four different people. I think Burt James Arnest. Same thing. Yeah, James Arnest. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Very good. Right. Your memory is one hundred percent. All right, back to Columbo. Obviously, starring Peter Falk. I'll say this: I binged watched it over the weekend. And the writing, for the most part, on the NBC show is excellent. Let's see how many episodes did they do. On NBC, because it was on NBC, and then many years it went to ABC. Boy, my notes are terrible this time. Um, But I I will tell you this. One of their first episodes, it was called Murder by the Book. It was on in 1971, and it's number 16 on TV Guide's greatest episodes of all time in TV. But that shouldn't be surprising, because it was written by Stephen Bochco, and it was directed by Steven Spielberg. Whoa, you're kidding me. And it was 1971? 1971, Murder by the Book, starring the great Jack Cassidy. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Jack Cassidy, not Ted Cassidy. Jack no. Cassidy, the, the smoker. <laughs> Jack Cassidy, the guy who went up in flames. Yeah, Shirley Jones' husband, yeah. Oh, God. But, and it is. I, 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 I didn't watch that one over the weekend only because I had seen that one recently. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the NBC shows, first of all, as you yeah. know, at the beginning of the show, they show you the crime. They show you how the crime was committed. And the entire show has to do with Columbo figuring out how he can get proof. And it always seems like within the first five minutes, Columbo knows who the murderer is. I mean, oh yeah, it, especially as you watch it. That's why I say it isn't a great binge watch show because you watch five or six or ten episodes, you're like, well, Columbo already knows yeah. this guy's the murderer, you know? And it's the um, same thing, this slow process of talking to these people like he's a bumbling, you know, I don't understand stuff. Can, can, can you just uh, show me a little bit about this vase here? How does that work? That's why I'm going to agree with you when you said one trick pony, although I don't think that's necessarily true. But when you binge watch it, you're like, okay, it's almost kind of follows that same pattern or yes. patter. Uh, and, and so when you binge watch it, it's not quite as, as I'm sure, uh, 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 enjoyable as it was when you just see one a month. You're like, oh, it's Columbo again, you know? Uh, right. And, and, you know, I don't want to overplay it. I kind of I liked Columbo. I watched it when it was on. And I did watch one recently. And it had something very, very weird in there, and which yeah. I totally appreciated. It had a. This was about a woman who got drugged uh, by her husband. But anyway, the husband was playing in a card game when Columbo first came to visit him, a poker game at night, uh, in an apartment, and the people playing, playing themselves, the, 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 in the show, right. at the card game, were 
the husband, I can't remember the actor's name. It was like a nondescript kind of a guy. And the other people playing were Nancy Walker, you know, oh, from the sure. uh, Dick Sargent, and Ron Say, the former oh baseball my, player for the, the hell L.A. Did Dodgers. How Ron Say get in there? <laughs> yeah, I know. There's the pitch swung on, there it goes. Way back. It might be. It could be. And it, off the top of the wall. One run in. Two runs in. Three run score. Say hit the top of the left field wall, clearing the bases. I I was watching it. I'm like, who is that guy? It looks so familiar. I'm like, it's the Penguin, you know. And then uh, I thought, how bizarre, how random is this? And there, it really must have been random. It must have been like, yeah, we're gonna get you on an episode of Columbo here because there was no point they never explained why this collect they they introduced themselves to Columbo. Right. He's like, yeah, I know you, you're on that show, uh yeah, with the with the witch. Yeah, you know, bewitched or and then oh you're the ball player. But there was no explanation of why they were there together. It oh, was shot right. like in LA because it was but it was bizarre. That is classic. Now I'm gonna have to go deeper because <laughs> I'm gonna have to find out how the hell they came up with those three actors to play the card players. That's crazy. It's got to be an ABC one because they were on from 89 to 2003. So and Penguin was with the Cubs in the mid 80s. So he would still look like and before that, I don't even, I don't think he was even on the Dodgers until 70. What? Five. I'm guessing. Yeah. I well, know. I don't know what year this was, but I'm telling yeah. you, I saw it and it was bizarre as hell. This card game. So you could maybe you can Google like. Uh, oh, I will. Ron say me. on Columbo or something like that. All right. Now, Columbo was number seven. Uh, according to some list of TV's greatest characters, which you might have a, a little issue with, but number seven is number seven. Someone ranked him up there. so Okay. And, and here's the thing with Peter Falk, and I learned this through a very, very, very uh, back backhanded source. A guy named Joe Esterhaus was a Hollywood screenwriter. He's written a couple of really good yeah, books. Yeah, I've heard of him. He wrote Hollywood Animal, which I highly recommend. Because he basically left Hollywood and he said, okay, I'm not going to work as a screenwriter anymore. I'm going to tell all the true stories. So, I mean, uh -huh. scandals, drink, drugs, girls. I mean, everything that you would imagine. He just blows the lid on it all. And he talks about having a meeting with an agent. And the meeting was like at 2 o'clock. So he gets to the agent's place and he's sitting in the waiting room. 2 o'clock, 2.15, 2.30, 2.35, 3 o'clock. So Joe Esterhaus, who was kind of a dick. He's like, fuck this. I don't care how much this guy's going to pay me. I'm getting out of here. So just as he's leaving, the agent comes in with Peter Falk. And Peter Falk and the agent had gone out and had like a six martini lunch. So they're in the office and they're just about to have the meeting. And Joe Astros is about to give this guy, read him the riot act. And then Peter Falk comes back in because he can't find his keys. And Astros is going, oh, geez, this is Peter Falk. What the, why is he doing this Columbo bit just for me as an agent? It's, and then he realized after about 10 minutes, he goes, holy shit, you know, Peter Falk is pretty much Columbo. Really? I I never suspected that. I thought it must be just a, just a cartoonish gag, but he was really kind of like that, huh? I think so, especially if he had had a couple of drinks, I guess, because Joe Astorhaus, who had been around the block, he's like, holy shit, this guy. And when you think about it, Burt Reynolds really was kind of, Smokey right. and Smokey and the Bandit, you know, I mean, and they that's what Gary Stevens, the great jockey who played um, uh, in Seabiscuit, uh, Gary yeah. Stevens played George Wolf, and he had an acting coach that came over to his house for 45 minutes, read lines with him, and he said, okay, congratulations, welcome, you know, you're going to do great. So wait a minute, he says, I was just 
being myself. You're not giving me any coaching. He says, no. He says, you don't understand. 90% of the actors in Hollywood are just playing themselves. Go out, have a good time, and cash the check. And he did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> I love that. That's good. <laughs> so uh, Peter Falk really really had a lot of Columbo traits, which is pretty cool when you think about it. You know, I yeah. mean, because uh, I don't know. When you watch him, and again, it's not a great binge watch show, uh, but the writing is almost always very, very clever. But I will say this. As I got to the end of season, what would it be? I guess season seven, 1978. You realize that the writers are getting a little too clever because they're throwing uh-huh. in they're throwing in a little too much foreshadowing. Like for instance, uh-huh. th- there'll be a scene blah 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 and then for like 1 second they'll get a tight shot of a matchbook or in one they got a tight shot of a of a Sharpie marker that the guy used as part of the part of the whole elaborate scheme to kill somebody. Uh-huh. And you and you're like, eh, this is just getting a little too cute. I think, you know, and, and sure enough, the last couple of episodes aren't quite as good. And you're kind of watching. You're like, eh, I've got this figured out. And it's really, there's not going to be anything that I haven't seen before. Oh, my so, God. You know, that that's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because when I watch those shows, I think there must be for the writers this fine line where, you got to foreshadow because if it's just random, like if we could have never figured it out, it's not interesting. They could say, they could make whatever they want happen. Oh, that's what happened. There's got to be something that you would look back on and say, oh, yeah, they showed that earlier. Or, yeah. yeah, there was a hint or a clue. But if it's too obvious and you f- actually figure it out, that's no good either. You know, so there's a, that's where the, the real craft of writing a, a m- mystery comes you, into yes. play. Yes. And, and I will say this the one that I remember. Uh, that I didn't rewatch the one that won the award, the one written by Steven Bochco and, and uh, directed by Spielberg. I remember watching that and saying, and I don't even think I looked up the writer. It just shows how ignorant I was at the time. But I'm like, wow, that was really well written because it wow. was just one of those things where when when you replayed it in your mind, you're like, you know what? I should have been able to figure that. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? that's when they got you. <laughs> yep. Yep. Did yeah. Columbo ever have a theme song? Oh, good question. I, I don't think, think so. he did on NBC. I'll have to check the ABC episodes because I really didn't watch many of those. Wow, I don't think so. Well, of course, but Mrs. Columbo had a theme song. Oh, God. I know. Remind me who Mrs. <laughs> Columbo was. Oh, I know who it was. It was uh, uh, the, the woman who was on Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation. What? I have yeah. no oh. idea. Mrs. Columbo was a show with, right. a, I forget the actress's name, but I can guarantee she played, she was a soap opera actress for a while before that, but then she was uh, on the show Star Trek The Next Generation, you know, the second one after the William Shatner group. Okay. See, I held Mrs. Columbo in such low regard that yeah. I didn't even research it because it was just such an abomination. It was only on for like six episodes, and everyone right. hated it. From Because, you know, Mrs. Columbo, as, as everyone knows who watched the original show, she was always referred to several times in the episode, but you never saw her. And any time that there was going to be an event where she was going to show up, there was always some reason that she couldn't make it. Like she had final exams for her night school class, or her pottery class had a special meeting because of this or whatever. So you never saw Mrs. Columbo 
until they did a a sequel, which obviously everyone hated. Wow. So, um, so who is the actress? Who is the actress? All right, hold on. We this, right. we can't do that. We can't save it all for the Mrs. Columbo. Who played Mrs. This is Columbo. live on the air. This is like Walter Cronkite taking a call. Yeah, here. Uh, we should know this. Da, 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 da. I should know oh, this. Kate Mulgrew. I yes, right. yes. Yeah. You're very good. Yeah, Kate Mulgrew. Very good. Excellent job. All right, one, uh, one other thing I want to mention about Columbo, at least the early episodes. Some of them don't stand the test of time because a few of them are technology-based. For instance, and you may remember this one. <laughs> William Shatner murders someone. But he invites his buddy over, who's an alcoholic, and gives him a mixed drink with some whatever in it, you know, some uh, a Mickey, for lack of a better term. So they're sitting there watching the baseball game, and the the guy who gets the, the drink with the Mickey passes out. So William Shatner then goes to his high-tech, brand-new video cassette recording machine and records the game. <laughs> it, then he goes and commits the murder, comes back, plays back, the, the, the baseball game, and he wakes the guy up and goes, hey, man, what, what are you doing? You fell asleep. And sure enough, it's just like two pitches later. Uh, and he's, oh, man, I must have accidentally, oh, man, that alcohol really went to my head. Yeah, you must not be drinking much. Listen, why don't you just sleep it off in my in my den? So sure enough, the guy's like, oh, I was there the whole time. I remember. I saw the whole game. So anyway, that it, and wow. when you, yeah, and when you watch funny. that back, you're like, well, I know exactly where this is going. And then there was another one where a guy, and it actually was an elaborate, an elaborate plot where in one part of the house, a guy gets shot. And what happens is uh, the bad guy shoots the dead guy, (laughs) shoots him, you know, with a silencer, so no one knows it happened. But he comes up with this elaborate system of pulleys and wires so that there's a record on the record player. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot to go through. Who wrote this thing? I don't Bob know. Hope? We'll it was Groucho out. Marx on this show? <laughs> so, so, so the record plays like, you know, seven minutes of, you know, whatever it was. It was a classical piece. And then the arm comes up and it goes back to the beginning. But it was a special programmable turntable. So it didn't just go back to the beginning. It went out further. So when it went back the first time, bang, there was a shot. And then the arm moved again. Bang! There was another shot. So, it, it, and then the the arm goes back on the turntable. So anyway, they show the whole thing, but they really don't show it. You're like, what? Wait a minute. Wires a door? And oh, and he also hooked the pulley up to the door, so that when the people came in, they opened the door and the back door closed. And like, oh, the the killer must just be running outside, running down the stairs. And so then they go chase him. Of course, they can't find him because there's nobody there. But it was this whole elaborate system having to do with this high-tech uh, turntable, which, of course, right now looks archaic. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> but still, that's I like mean, way too much. That's like uh, that reminds me of like when you built the member of the game Mousetrap. And on top of that, and it goes back to something I mentioned earlier, when the turntable arm came back the first time, it knocked over a marker that was balanced right at the edge of the the, the table. And it went on top of a big dictionary, which was precariously balanced right on the edge of the dictionary table. So the marker hits the dictionary and the dictionary falls to the floor. So that's the sound of the body that the people downstairs thought they heard hit the floor. 
Oh my god! It is mousetrap. That, that's that's what the episode should have been called, mousetrap. <laughs> All right, it went back to ABC from '89 to 2003, and they just did like a couple of TV movies a year. Mm-hmm. And the ABC one, it's not as well written, and they start recycling a lot of these guys. And obviously, you mentioned Ron Say, Nancy Walker, and Dick Sargent. Some of the characters that they had were George, or not characters, actors they had were George Hamilton, Dabney Coleman. Faye Dunaway, they brought William Shatner back because he was in that uh, episode earlier uh-huh. that I mentioned. Uh, George Went and oh, yeah. Billy Connolly from that show with the kids, head of the class. Or oh, uh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah. So. I saw Rip Torn on one. He played a jeweler. You're exactly right. Yes, I did see yeah. that one too. It's it you that did. now. Yeah. Now see, those are in the rotation on either Me TV or Decades TV or one of them. They play them on the weekends. Right, yeah, that's right. That's when I saw it. I it was not the episode with Ron Say, but it was like I think I watched it was on right after it or something like that. You know, doesn't he play like a, a doesn't he play like a Colonel Tom Parker type character? Uh, he owned a jewelry store. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, uh, some I forget. I forget the the plot line. It had something to do with he. He was kind of an agent for somebody. He was respond. Right, wasn't that right, or am I thinking this incorrectly? I don't know. I'll I'm hemming and hawing because I just have a very uh, shattered record uh, re- uh, recollection of that show. I don't think I watched the whole thing. Well, well, and the thing is, I saw it about two years ago, and I watched it because Rip Torn was in it. And it was good. You know, it was good. But the ABC ones just aren't quite up to snuff when you compare them with the NBC ones, I think mainly because of the writing. Uh, yeah. And and also, it, it, they aren't produced quite as well. And I don't know how else to explain it, but when you watch it, you're like, wait a minute. No, this really doesn't look like Columbo. It kind of looks like a cheap imitation of Columbo. Um, I know. I noticed that when I was watching that one, probably with Rip Torn, he looks like he's dressed up like Columbo, like it's a Halloween costume. Right. I mean, I know the whole the whole getup is kind of outrageous anyway, but it, it even seemed like you could see that he has too much makeup on and stuff like that. I mean, it was just yep. like way out there, like he was cartoonish. No, I will say this. After watching Columbo, I found out where Police Story got the idea, and it's not Police Story, pardon me, Police Squad. Do you remember that that show that was yeah. going on for like six episodes? Martin huh? Sheen is a guest star in one of the episodes. And it's guest starring Martin Sheen. I'm like, oh, Martin Sheen, I like him. Well, literally within the first three minutes, they kill Martin Sheen. He's dead. He was the dead guy. And so I immediately realized that Police Squad must have seen an episode just like this. Because if you remember in Police Squad, the special guest star would be Florence Henderson. They would say Florence Henderson, and they would show her getting murdered within three seconds of the special guest. <laughs> she'd be like standing there with a plate full of chicken, and bam, she'd get run oh. over by a car or something. And say, Police squad in color. Starring Leslie Nielsen. Tonight's special guest star, Florence Henderson. Every special guest star they had on Police Squad was dead within five seconds, which is brilliant. Okay. That's good. That's funny. All right. I'm looking at my notes. The only other thing that I wanted to mention is the fact that uh, Columbo had that uh, that car, and you probably don't know what it is, but it's the $1,000 Jeopardy answer. Do you know what make and model Columbo drove? I'm going to say it was a 
fiat, but I don't know. I couldn't even venture a guess beyond that. Well, if, if, if we were wagering a cold Budweiser, I'd buy you one because it's not a fiat, but it's a Peugeot 403. Oh, Peugeot. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so that and it was like old and white and small and dirty, right? Yep, exactly. Just like yeah. just like Colombo. Old, yeah. white, small <laughs> and dirty. There you go. All right. Hey. I'm trying to think of a good impersonation to uh, to to finish this up with because uh, you could do your well, Cronkite, you could do your Peter Falk, you could do your Jack Why don't Cassidy. we mess it? Okay. But as I light up a cigarette, I want to say to you, and that's the way it is. November 23rd. 2021, sir. And good evening. Okay, this is Jim back with the corrections, and I was actually going to have Harry join me for these, but I think I'll just bring this up on our next podcast. It's a point I'm going to make at the end of these corrections. First of all, the Camel News Caravan was actually on the NBC Evening News back in the day. Let's see. Walter Cronkite had the title of Managing Editor. That's the title that the anchors usually had back in the day. Richard Boone, yes, he was in Have Gun, Will Travel, so Harry was right on that one. B.L. Stryker with Burt Reynolds was part of the ABC mystery movie, which was also in rotation with Columbo. Columbo really didn't have a theme song. They had some incidental music, but no, according to the internet, no theme song for Columbo. Harry was right, Rip Torn, the great Rip Torn, played a Beverly Hills jeweler on an ABC episode of Columbo. And Mrs. Columbo, believe it or not, as bad as it was, was actually on the air for 13 episodes. All right, here was a point I was going to bring up with Harry, and I can't believe we didn't address it during Columbo. Here's just a little piece of advice, and I'm sure Harry would back this up a thousand times because he is the number one attorney in the Chicago area. But if you ever commit the perfect murder, and some guy in a trench coat knocks on the door and starts asking you questions, get a goddamn lawyer and shut the hell up. Because if any of those people would have just shut up, they never would have been caught. All right, there you go. Harry and I will talk about that more in the future. Thanks for listening. So long now.